smashing. Give everyone the best possible start to the day. See special packs for details. In this episode of the Smashing Podcast, we're talking about Cube CSS. What is it, and how does it differ from approaches such as BEM, SMAX, and OOCSS? We talk to its creator, Andy Bell, to find out. But first, did you know that Smashing Magazine publishes a brand new article to the website five days a week? That's a lot to keep up with, but we're here to help. It's your weekly update. What Vitruvius can teach us about web design, Frederick O'Brien asks what we can learn about design from the ancients, in particular the Roman architect Vitruvius and his golden triad. He may have originally had buildings rather than pixels in mind, but do its principles apply to the web as well as to bricks and mortar? Ibrahima Andor gives us an introduction to SWR, React Hooks for Remote Data Fetching. This is a set of hooks for remote data fetching that makes many things easier, such as caching, pagination, and so on. Learn all about it by building a Pokedex app from scratch and using SWR features to get the data and to paginate it. In How Web Designers Can Help Restaurants Move Into Digital Experiences, Suzanne Skacker looks at the major digital transformation the restaurant industry has begun to undergo. Those that want to survive will need a website that can handle a new way of operating, which means they can no longer afford to hold on to that cheap site they built for themselves years ago. All this spells big opportunities for web designers interested in working in that space. Oh, yeah! Adnaye David Abiodun gives us a practical guide to testing React applications with Jest. Building a well-functioning application requires good testing, otherwise knowing whether your application works as expected would be a matter of guesswork and luck. Jest is one of the best tools available for testing React applications. In this article, you learn everything you need to know to build a solid test suite for your React components and application. And in part four of his Django Highlights series, Philip Keeley talks about the different approaches to deal with graphics, styles, and user-uploaded content after it's pushed to master in Wrangling Static Assets and Media Files. Develop an intuition for the strategies available to Django developers for serving these files to users worldwide in a secure, performant, and cost-effective manner. And that is your weekly update. Find all these and more at smashingmagazine.com slash articles. He is an educator and freelance web designer based in the UK and has worked in the designer web industries for well over a decade. In that time, he's worked with some of the largest organisations in the world like Harley-Davidson, B-Sky-B, Unilever, Oracle and the NHS. Alongside Hayden Pickering, he's the co-author of Every Layout. His latest venture is Piccalilly, a website newsletter with tutorials and courses to help you level up as a front-end developer and designer. So we know he's an experienced developer and educator, but did you know he was the first person allowed to compete at Crufts with a panda? My smashing friends, please welcome Andy Bell. Hi Andy, how are you? I'm smashing, thanks. How are you? <laughs> I'm very good. Thank you very much. Now, I wanted to talk to you today about um, something that you posted on your site, Piccalilly, uh, about a CSS methodology that you've developed for yourself over recent years. First of all, I guess we should 
probably explore what we mean by a CSS methodology, because that could mean different things to, to different people. So when you think of a CSS methodology, what is it to you? That's a good, good, hard question to start with, Drew. Appreciate <laughs> that. Thank you. Welcome. Um, that, yeah, that, that, it's, it's a tricky one. Cause, um, so for context, like, I've used um, BEM for a long time, um, and that is block element modifier. And that's been around for a long time. And I, I, the way I look at a CSS methodology, it's, it's not a framework. It's an it's a, a organization structure that's how i like to see it it's like a process almost it's like um you've got a problem that you need to solve with css and you use the methodology to solve it for you um, and keep things predictable and organized so that bem's just legendary for that because it's it's you know been wildly successful and then you could almost um you could almost qualify things like um the style components and that sort of thing you could you could almost say that they're they're um methodology oriented even though they're a bit more framework entwined but still it's a methodology of breaking things into tiny molecules um so yeah essentially that's what i'm trying to do with cube css as well um a thinking structure i think i described it as yeah so it's um a an application of of process for how you uh, you architect and you write css and it's not so much anything that's based on tools or any other sort of technology it's just a sort of workflow. So there's there's lots of different approaches out there. I mean, you mentioned BEM, there's SMACS, OOCSS, uh, Atomic CSS, uh, and then you've got these sort of unusual love child approaches like ABEM. Uh, have you seen that one? Yeah. Um, why, yeah. why publish that, your own? That, what was yeah, yeah. Why, why make your own? Uh, that's a very good question. I think those who know me well, they'll like to uh, sail against the tide um, a lot. It's it's mainly because um, I tend to do lots of varied projects as well, um, and varied teams. So it is very hard. I've I've found to work with BEM with a sort of traditional developer because they're used to using CSS for what CSS is all about. Um, you know the cascade etc. Um, and that's sort of why I stole that from the language. And then there's the on the other flip side is that less less structured methodologies it's harder to work with like a programmer js sort of person because they're like structure and organization and small components which is understandable working with the language that they're working so i found myself in these positions where i was working with different types of people uh, different types of projects where Bet one methodology wasn't quite working. So I've just been over the years I've just been playing around with this idea of, of how things go and then there's the stuff being hidden did with every layout which sort of enforced a big part of it, which is the C, the composition part, and then the um yeah, just sort of evolved it over very rapidly over the last six months. Um and then the only reason I wrote an article about it was because just doing this course and I thought I better write some supplementary material to go with it so people understand it and it's absolutely blown up. So you know, maybe we're not over methodologies quite yet. <laughs> so um the the course material that you've been putting together actually uses Cube CSS as its methodology, yeah. is it? Yeah, so a good sort of fifty percent of the course is actually front end, um, even though it's a course unlimited. But it's it's so so deeply entwined in the way that we build the front end that it, 
I couldn't just say, oh, by the way, this is how I write an RCSS and then leave it. I needed to sort of, I know people like to get into the details, so I was like, what I'll do is I'll write this post that's really long and really detailed. And then if someone wants to skill up and really understand what we're doing, then um, they can do. Um, And the rest is from there. And here we are today, Drew, sitting and chatting about it. So... So if somebody already understands BIM and is maybe already using BIM as as an example, because that's probably one of the widest adopted methodologies, isn't it? So if they've already got an understanding of BIM and they're coming to Cube, is that something that they would find easy to adopt to their many similarities or is it completely different? Yeah, I'd say um, going from BIM to Cube is probably the probably a smooth transition um especially the way i like to still write the css for cube so the majority of stuff's happening at a high level so it's happening at the cascade level it's happening global css using utilities to do a lot of this stuff but when you come into the nuts and bolts of it it's very bem like components um well blocks and elements and um the only thing that's sort of different from BEM is instead of having modifiers, we use this thing called exceptions instead, which instead of using CSS classes, it's, it turns to data attributes, um, which I think gives a nice bit of separation um, and a real exception, which is what modifiers should be. Um, and as part of the reason why I've, I've sort of sailed away from um, BEM was because I found the way I was working with it, especially in design systems, was modifiers were dominated and it became a problem because it was like, what is, what is the role of my block at this point? Because if I'm modifying it to the point where it's unrecognizable regularly, then is this methodology still working right how it's supposed to work? And then there's the whole design token stuff with which, uh, you know, the stuff that Gina did with um, Lightning Design System, which we've all started adopting now. The utility class stuff really started to make sense with that approach and um yeah so i just sort of smushed all the things i like about other people's work and slide it into my own instead yeah so would you say this i mean you talk about with with bem the the sort of modifier uh, approach kind of getting it out of control is that one of the main pain points with bem that cube tries tries to address yeah absolutely um i do like the modifier approach with bem i think it is it does make sense um especially what i like about bem and it's something i still do is the double underscore um for an element and then there's the double dash for modifier i like that that way of um organizing things um but yeah it was it was just a case of okay well a lot of the modifiers i can actually account for with utility classes and then the other bits so the example I use in the um, in the article is, imagine you've got a card and then the card is flipped, so the content appears before the um, before the image. Um, so then that makes sense to so see display flex, and then you reverse it, reverse the order. That that makes sense to have like an exception rule for that because it is an exception of the card's default state, and that's how I like to see it. It's like an affected state on that component is what an exception is. And that makes sense a lot with a lot of the stuff I've done more recently of like the modern front end stack with like reactive JavaScript. There's a lot of state changing and um, it makes sense to to handle it appropriately between CSS and JavaScript because the, they are becoming more and more entwined with each other, whether you like it or not. So it's a common language for them, as you can see by my face very much not but there you go 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably thinking. Actually, I've been working with React quite a lot recently, so I'm, I'm the other way around. So I can see that as well. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's get into into Cube then. So Cube mm-hmm. stands for Composition Utility Block Exception. Is that right? Yeah. What on earth? What on earth does that mean? <laughs> oh mate, you should have heard it before. Um, I, was, I was doing a talk last last year, and I did a talk, and it was called keeping it simple with CSS that scales. And in there, I sort of introduced an earlier version of it called Cbute, which was um, Cascade Block Element Utility Token. And it was rubbish. And I hated the name of it. And I, I did it a couple of times this talk last year, and I really didn't like the name. And then when I came to doing this stuff this year, I thought I really need to think about what it actually is and what it's called. And I think Cube is a little bit more, a little less rubbish. I think that's the best way to describe it. But then the names are always rubbish for these things, aren't they? I mean, like Ben, what a rubbish name that is, you know. <laughs> but we all sort of do it. Look at Jamstack. That's a terrible name as well, isn't it? My lips <laughs> are sealed. You can hear your bosses going, what? <laughs> I mean, uh, it, but yeah, it's just true. It's just the way it is, isn't it, in our industry? So, yeah. It seems that um, a lot of the CSS, CSS methodologies uh, try and work around some of the features of CSS, things mm. like the, the cascade. My understanding from what I've read is Cube tries to, to make use of those of those sort of features and properties of CSS. Yeah. So good, a good sort of analogy for it is SCSS, like SAS, is a it's an extension of the nat- natural CSS language, isn't it? It's, you're pretty much writing CSS still. So Cube CSS is like that, but so it's an extension of CSS. So we should still write CSS as CSS should. Well, it's supposed to be written, and let's be honest, that's how it's supposed to be written. Is like the the name gives it away, cascading style sheets. The so it's embracing that again because what I found is that I've gone all the way down to the micro optimization level. You know, I've been down the path that I see a lot of people going down recently. Where and I mentioned this in the article as well, where I can see um, there's some evidence of it recently. I've spotted people have been creating like spacer components and stuff like that and i understand that problem i've been in that situation the way i fixed it was instead of drilling down and trying to micro optimize i actually started thinking about things on a compositional level instead because it doesn't matter how small your components are at some point they're going to be pages they're going to be views you cannot avoid that that's how it's going to be so instead of trying to say right if this i need these tiny little helpers to do this layout you say right i've got a a contact page view or a product page view and that's a skeletal layout composition and then inside of that i can slot whatever components i want in there all i know and we've got things like grid and flexbox now which make that much more achievable um and you can essentially put whatever you want inside of the skeletal layout it doesn't matter and then um, the components should, at that point, behave how you want them to behave with or without container queries. This is the, the composition uh, part of, yes. of Cube, where we're yeah. looking at things at uh, more of a macro level, um, looking yeah. at how components can be can be composed into a view mm-hmm. um, to create the sort of pages that you need to create for a site or an app yeah. or what have you. So it's, so it's creating rules, essentially. Well, it's like guidance. It's... Um, 
do you know you get guidelines for something it's not like a s- strict rules it's like you should do this you should do that it's that's essentially what you're doing with the browser with this methodology is you're saying you're not you're not forcing it to do anything you're saying look ideally if you could lay it out like this that'd be great but i understand that that might not be the case so here's some sort of some bounds and some some you know some upper and lower um levels that we can work with do what you can and cheers and then you just chuck some components at it and let it just do what it does you you add enough control in there for it to not look rubbish so a good example is say you've got a, um we do a layout in every layout called the switcher um which essentially will inline items until a certain point where it'll, the calculation that works out how wide they should be will just f- stack them on top of each other but because we add margin to the inline and the block it works regardless of what the state of it is it still looks fine and that's that's the idea is that it's we're not telling the browser to say you must lay this three column grid out we're saying if you can lay a three column grid out do it otherwise just stack and space instead so it's that sort of methodology of letting the browser do its job really i mean many of the the different approaches that um, have come along for css over the the last few years have very much focused on the sort of component level of dealing with everything like it's a component. Uh, Cube doesn't downplay that component aspect so much. It just gives you this extra, uh, this sort of extra sort of concept over the top of of taking those components and composing them into uh, bigger layouts, rather than just saying, oh, you know, the layout's just another component. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, mm. well, I, th- I think the the thing to say about components is they're important. You know, especially modern front-end stuff. We do a lot of component stuff, system stuff. Um, but the way I see a component is it's a, it's a collection of rules that, that extend what's already been done. So the, the point of making the article is by the time you get down to the block level, most of your styling is actually being done. And really what your component is doing is, is sort of dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And it's saying, right, in this context, so for a card, for example make the image have a minimum height of X and add a bit of padding here and, you know, do this, that, and the other, put a button here. And it's just sort of like uh, add additional rules on top of what's already been inherited from the rest of the CSS. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. Whereas in BEM, the component is the sort of source of truth, you know. Until you put that class on the element, nothing, nothing has been applied at that point. And that method works. I just found I wrote more CSS by doing that and more repetitive CSS, which I don't like doing. So, yeah. Would you consider the typography and the colours and the sort of vertical rhythm sort of spacing and all that? Is that all that part of, of the idea of composition in, in this model? Yeah, in the global CSS. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good idea. Uh, the vertical rhythm, especially in the flow. Um, we did we did that, an article on that at 24 ways, didn't we, a couple of years ago? The flow and rhythm component, that was a sort of uh, a sort of abstract from this approach as well, where you set a, a base component, which essentially uses the lobotomized aisle selector. Um, I don't know how I'm going to describe that on the radio, um, but yes, but we, we were. We'll just put a link in the show notes to that head an article or something but uh, essentially that it selects child elements uh, sorry sibling elements so it says right every element that follows element x have margin top of a css custom property value 
And the beauty of that is then is you can set that CSS custom property value on a compositional context as well. So you can say, right, in this in this component, if there's some flow on the go, we'll set flow space to actually be two rem because we want it to be nice and beefy, the white space. And then in another one, you might say, actually, I want flow space to be half a rem because I want it to be tight. And is the, this is all happening. All the control is coming from a higher level. And then what you're doing is you're adding sort of contextual um, overrides rather than reinventing it each time, reinventing the same thing over and over again. So that's the C, composition. Um, next, we've got U, which is utility. So what what do we mean by utility? So it's it's a class that does one job and it does it really well. Um, and that could be an implementation of um, a design token, which sort of, it's an abstract of, properties usually it's colors or typography styles um sizing and rules like that and the idea is you generate utility classes that apply those so you've got a utility that apply background primary which is like the primary color and then color primary which is um the text color um and then you might generate some spacing tokens um, for like margin and padding and all those sort of things and they just do one job they just add that one spacing rule that one color rule and that's it but then you've got other token uh, utilities as well. So that a good example is a wrapper utility. And what that'll do is it'll um, put a maximum width on, a, on an element and then it'll put left and right auto margin to sit it in the middle of the thing. So it's just got one job and it's just doing it efficiently and well. And the idea is then is that so you've got your global styles have done your, a lot of your typography settings and a lot of your flow and space. Your compositions then giving context and layout then your utilities are applying tokens directly to elements to give them those styling that you need. So like um, a heading, for example, you're saying, I want this to be this size and I want it to have this lead in and I want it to have this measure. And then at that point, this is what I say is about the blocks. Is then you go further down the stack and you've, you've already done most of the work at that point. So they, they give you this really efficient way of, um, of working. And because HTML sort of streams down the pipe as well, it's really nice to sort of abstract the workload onto HTML rather than CSS as well, I found. I used to be really against utility classes, like really sort of in this sort of, you know, old curmudgeon style of like, oh, separation of concerns. But I actually think it's a really decent way of working. And I mentioned in the article that I actually like Tailwind CSS. I think it does work. And I really like using it for prototyping because I can really like, put something out really quick um but i think it just goes a little bit too far just tailwind whereas i like to sort of rein in um when it goes beyond just applying a single rule on a on a class so that's that's it i think for you the you so yeah i mean you you talk in the article a lot about design tokens which is something that we've talked about um on the smashing podcast with gina Ann back in episode three i think it was um, so it sounds like design tokens are a, a really sort of fundamental aspect. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I, rem- I remember so so vividly when Gina um, was doing the Lightning design system stuff because I was building a design system at the time or something that resembled a design system and we were struggling to get um, executive sort of approval of it. And when Lightning Design System came out, I literally just sent them link after link. And I said, this is what we're doing. We're building a design system. And this is what Salesforce are currently using it for. And I remember her her work at the time actually helped me to get stuff through the door. And then, yeah, the design token stuff has always sort of stuck with me as being a really good way of 
applying these rules because I'm a designer by trade so like I could just sort of see that organization and the ability to organize and create a single source of truth being really useful because it's something we've not really had in digital design especially in the Adobe era of working with Photoshop and stuff um, we, we just didn't have that luxury we had it in print with Pantone book but we didn't have it in digital with random hex codes all over the shop so yeah it's just it's just great I, I love that level of control so actually I think it aids in creativity because you um you're not thinking about unimportant stuff anymore you're just thinking about what you're doing with it so does the implementation of those design tokens matter particularly with the approach I mean is it like is it always CSS custom properties I think that's a really important point with Q and some of the sort of responses I've had, people have struggled with this a little bit. There's no mention of technology in it whatsoever. The only technology that's consistent is CSS. Like you can do it however you want. You know, you could you could do all this with whatever CSS in JS things people are doing now, or you could do it with just vanilla CSS. You could do it with SAS. I mean I do it with SAS. Um less if that's what you're still doing. And uh, you know all, all these sort of available technologies post CSS um, you know all these things. You can do it however you want to do it. It doesn't matter. The idea is is that if you follow those sort of constructs, you'll be fine. That's the that's the idea behind it. It's very loose, loose and not not strict as some of the methodologies are. I think people get. I've seen it with BEM especially. People get really ingrained in the sort of principles of BEM to the point where it's like you're not even solving a problem anymore. Um, and I think that. You've got to be flexible. I said it in this talk last year, I was like, if you stick to your guns too tightly, you can actually cause problems for yourself in the long run because you try and follow a certain path and you know it's not working anymore. Um, you should always be flexible and sort of work work with a system rather than working, you know, to the letter to it. So the uh, the B, the B is block. And and you've you talked about this uh, idea that by the time you get down to the block level, there should be most most of everything should be in place, and then the block block level styling is only really concerned with the the actual very detail of of uh, of a particular component. Yeah. I mean, gen, generally, is the concept of a block similar to what people will be familiar with? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, so imagine you BEM component and take all the visual stuff out of it, and that's what you that's what you're left with essentially the block. I think the well, and this is what I struggled to articulate when I first started thinking this methodology. A block is actually really a C; it's a composition, but it's it's that makes it really difficult because you're into like recursive territory there, and I think people's brains would explode. But really, that's what a block is. It's actually a composition, another compositional layer, but more of a sort of strict context. So, like your card, your button, your um, your carousel if that's what you like doing still um and all that sort of stuff it's like a specific thing a component um and then inside of there you're setting specific rules for it to follow really ignoring the rest so you're not you might apply tokens in the block so then i do do that still but really it's more layout oriented is a block as far as i work with them or at least sort of taking a token and applying it in a specific way, like a button hover states it's stuff like that. So, yeah, that's uh, really, your block should be tiny by the time you get down to them. It shouldn't really do much at all. So it could be as small as a uh, hyperlink. Yep. Um, but it could also be a, a sort of uh, a compound collection of other other yeah. blocks. Yeah, like a module sort of thing. You could You could definitely do that. 
Because um, again, that goes back to the sort of compositional aspect of it is that whatever goes in it shouldn't matter. So the good example that's like the the card. So like the content of a card is say like a heading, a summary, and a button. You shouldn't really be specifically targeting those three elements. You should be saying, look, anything that happens to find itself in content, have some flow rules in there and have some some sort of compositional layout rules. And then it doesn't matter what you put in there. You might decide that you want to put an image in that content thing and it should just work. It should just, just look fine. And that's the whole point of like working with CSS like this. Is, it's a very forgiving way of working with CSS. You sort of, you're making your life a lot easier by being less rigid because when stuff accidentally finds itself in something which it, which it will it doesn't look horrific, horrific as it could do if you've been more sort of specific about things is just what i found i definitely need a lot of forgiveness around my css <laughs> i know you do <laughs> <laughs> cheers <laughs> so the um that's the b uh the last yeah. the last thing is e e is exception now we're not yes. talking about error messages are we no no it's a sort of we're not talking about javascript exceptions yeah yeah there should be none of that at this point but the um I should hope not anyway, otherwise you really are in the in the woods at that point. <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna be able to help you. But the the whole idea of this is sort of so you've created a context with your block and an exception is a is exactly that. It's like an exception to the rules. So a flipped card or it might be a, a ghost button. So you know those buttons that have just got a border and a transparent background. That that would be an exception because a button is probably got a solid background colour and then a label colour, so it's creating a sort of distinct um, state of variation. And the reason why I do this with data attributes instead of classes, and the reason why that is, is because, A, I think it's nice to have a distinction. Um, so when you're scanning through lots of HTML, you can see data hyphen something, you're like, right, okay, something has definitely changed on this element. And the other thing is that it's very nice to give JavaScript access to that state and vice versa as well. So... I really like applying state with data attributes um, in JavaScript. I think this, that is essentially what they're for, um, sort of communication layer. Um, and, yeah, the, the the harmony between them seems to just work really well. So a good example is sort of, um, say you've got a status message, and then JavaScript will add data state, either success, error, or information or something. You can then hook into that with um, your exception styles in CSS. So you know that's an exception of the status component um, and it's going against its default state. So it's just a really handy way of working with things. It's just predictable on both ends. It's predictable on the CSS end and it's predictable in the JavaScript end as well. I guess it's quite nice. Uh, something that the class names don't give you is a property and value. Um, so if you want to have something like that, which is uh, the state and it can either be success or failure or warning or what have you, um, you can specifically address that state property and flip its value. Whereas with uh, a big long list of class names, if you're manipulating that in JavaScript, for example, you're going to have to look at each one of them and and add that business logic in there that says, um, you know, I can only set one of these and I can't, you know, what happens if, if two of those classes are applied to the same element? You can't get that with a, a data attribute. It only has one value. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good way of saying that, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very helpful, I found, to work like that. That's quite interesting. I don't think I've seen any other methodologies that take that approach. Is that, so, is that 
completely unique to Cube doing that? Might be. Um, I don't really pay much attention to the stuff, <laughs> which I should do. But, <laughs> um, but it, someone else is probably doing that. It's, I'll tell you now, it's been the most controversial aspect of it. Some people really did not like the idea of using their attributes. And then the, the thing is, as well, as I normally respond, is do what you want. Like, we're not, we're not, we're not telling you to do things in a certain way. It's a sort of suggestion. Like, if you want to do exceptions of CSS classes, like modifiers, then knock yourself out. You know, the Q police aren't going to come knocking at your door. Um, it's it's absolutely fine. the The whole idea is like the cube thing is like it's a it's a thinking method. It's a thinking thing. It's a structure. You apply that structure however you want to apply it with what tooling you want and whatever technology you want. As long as you keep things consistent, that's the important thing. So there's no such thing as pure cube. The way I write is pure cube, Drew. Everyone else is just a fit. It's just a weak imitation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, apart from to you, no one can say that isn't textbook cube. That, that's that, that's because... it. No one, no one can dispute that, really, can they? So yeah, I'll go with that. I'm gonna just yeah, it gives me a bit of clout or something that I think <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Can can you mix and match um, a cube approach with with other methodologies? And I mean, can you use bits of bits of BEM? Yeah, and... I reckon so. I was thinking. Um, I was. I've been thinking about it a little bit. Um, some more because I'm going to do some more stuff on it um, soon because it's, it's it's become quite popular. So people want more to, um, work. And one thing I'm going to look at is how to approach using the cube methodology with something existing. So there's two opposite ends of the scale. There's because a, a, a good question that people have asked is, how does this work with every layout? The other stuff, and I'm like, I'm basically every layout is the C. That is that's what every layout is, is the compositional layer. And then then someone else asked, well, how would this work with something like atomic web design, like the stuff that Brad Frost did? And it's like, well, you could break those pieces up and apply them at each level. So there's, you know, the, the atomic design goes all the way down into the sort of mac micro detail. It's, it's abstracting that into using Radical. I can apply this with utilities. So the molecules, I think, um, can apply the utilities. And it's translating what you know already into this slightly different structure of working. And really, it's a renaming for a lot of, a lot of things. You know, I've not I've not invented anything here. I've just sort of, like I say, I've just stolen things that I like. Um, I love the way that some of the atomic design stuff is is thought about. That's really some smart work and BEM and the stuff Harry did, the inverted triangle CSS. Thought was really cool. Um, and so I've just sort of nicked bits that I like from each one of them and sort of stitched them all together into this other sort of hybrid thing approach. But yeah, more to come, I think. Can the cube approach be applied to existing projects that already have CSS in place, or is it something you really need to start on a fresh project with? Yeah, that that very much depends. Say if you've got like a bootstrap job and it's just got like thousands of lines of custom CSS that have definitely been involved in before, then I think you might be um, trying to put a fire out with a bottle of water at that point. But if you um, if you say, for instance, you've got like a sort of rough sort of BEM setup and it's gone a bit layery, you could use Cube to refactor and actually pull it back into shape again. Um, very yeah, have very much uh, it depends answer to that one. But yeah, it's, it's doable as with everything. If you really want it to work, Drew, you can do it if you want, can't you? <laughs> 
The world is our oyster. Especially if your BEM site's gone Larry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing worse than a Larry BEM site. Yeah. <laughs> I've noticed in uh, the examples that you've given, uh, and I've I've seen, I've got an eagle eye, I've seen you've been doing this for a while. Uh, a lot of your um, class values uh, in the HTML attribute are wrapped in square brackets. Oh, God, yeah. Tell you what, Drew. What is that about? What is that about? If, I tell you what, if there's ever one thing I've done in my whole career that's been just absolutely outrageously controversial, and you you follow me on Twitter, you've seen what, what comes out of my mouth, um, is those bloody brackets. My God. that People either love them or hate They're marmite there. Um, the reason I do them is is a grouping mechanism so like if you look at the way that they're structured there'd be the way i do it is block at the start and then i'll do any utilities after that and then what i'll i might do is in between the block a block group and a utility group there might be another block class so a good example of that would be um so you've got we'll go back to the card again but then say that there's a specific block called the CTA, like call to action. You might have that applied to the card as well. And then your utilities are enforcing the design attributes, so the colours and the and all that business. So then you've got three groups of stuff. When you come to it, if you've got that order in your head each time, you know, okay, right, this first group is blocks. Oh, that looks like another block. I've got that one. And then it's like, right, they're definitely utility classes. And then what I might even do is if there's a lot of design token implementation, have that in a separate group. So it's just very clear what each group is doing and there's a separation inside of the classes there as well. I found it really helpful. Some people find it incredibly offensive. Um, it's definitely a, a, a do it if you want to do it. Definitely you don't have to do it. It's quite funny when I published that article, like so many people finished halfway through to ask me, what is it with these brackets? And I was like, did you finish the article? Because there's a big section at the end that explains exactly what I'm doing to the point where I actually had to write a bit in the middle of the article of if the brackets are essentially doing your editing, click here and I'll skip you all the way down to that explanation bit. <laughs> so you can just read about them, yeah. But yeah, it's, it can be quite controversial. I've just... Um, when I've worked on really, really complex um, front ends, and we did a little bit of stuff together, didn't we, last year? And yep. you've seen the sort of design implementation on that project that we were on. It requires that sort of grouping because there's just so much going on at the time. There's so much different stuff happening. Um, and yeah, I've just found it really, really useful over the years. And also get lots of lots of questions about it to the point where i was i was almost going to write just one page on my website that i could just fire people to to answer the question for them <laughs> slash what's with the brackets <laughs> yeah yeah slash brackets see yeah. it's like um, have you seen that new hair email thing that's just come out and they've, they've bought a domain of it's not a typo.com just to answer the whole inbox like in with an m rather than an in i thought that's basically i was like i think i need to do that like what's with the brackets.com and just do a one page or about it yeah it strikes me that the the approach with brackets actually could be something that uh, might be useful uh, when using things like like tailwind or something that has a lot yeah. of a lot of oh, classes um, yes. because that can get you know you have you have classes that, that are addressing your um, your sort of um, your breakpoints and mm. uh, and what have you and then you'll have things that are uh, for layout things that are for mm -hmm. color or type or, or what have you so um, it might also be a useful way of uh, of dealing in in situations like that I, I definitely agree with that. A good analogy, uh, sort of, not analogy, a good sort of 
a bit of info about Tailwind is I actually quite like Tailwind and I've used it on very big projects. One the one thing that really opened my eyes to Tailwind though is when I saw a junior developer try to work out what was going on. And it was really, really sort of eye-opening because they just didn't have a clue what was happening. And I think that's one problem I've found with these sort of over, over-engineered approaches, which I think it's fair to say Tailwind is, is that it, it there's a certain level, skill level, that is required to work with. And I know the, the industry tends to have a bit of an obsession with sort of seniority now, but there's still people that are just getting into the game that... that we need to accommodate and i think having st- stuff that's cl- like close to the language itself is more helpful in those situations because they're probably learning material that is you know the language as it is so i think it's just a bit more helpful so especially having a, d- a diverse team of people as well so just food for thought for everyone people might uh, look at all the different methodologies that are that are out there and say this is evidence that css is terrible and broken that we need all these um all these uh, problems have to be solved by hacking stuff on top we need tools to mm. to fix bits of css we need strict procedures for how we implement it just to kind of get it to work should should the platform be adapting itself do we need new bits of css to try and solve these problems, or are we all right just hacking around and making up funny acronyms? <laughs> I think CSS, right? I think the the power of CSS, I think, is its flexibility. Like a lot of the CSS knowledge, so we're going to program CSS. A lot of the knowledge is less of the syntax and more of the workings of a browser and how it works. And I think that might be might be a suggestion that the problem is that people might not have learnt CSS quite as thoroughly as the thought they might have learned it um who create these problems and i've seen that in evidence myself um i spotted a, a sort of spacing mechanism that had been invented which is very complicated and i and i thought this person doesn't have has not learned what padding is because padding would actually fix this problem for them understanding how padding works in the box model and that's not to be like snidey about it i think it's just we we work in an industry now that moves at an even faster pace than it has done in, the, in previously and i think there's there's a lot less time for people to learn things in detail um but on that front i think css still still does have work to do in terms of the working group who i think do a bloody good job um a great shining example of their work was the grid spec which was just phenomenal you know and the way that rolled out in pretty much every browser on day one i thought that was so good but We've got more work to do, I think, and I, th- I think maybe the pace might need to increase a little, um, especially stuff like container queries. You know, we all talking about them, stuff like that. I think would help to put CSS in a different light with people. I think, but I think CSS is brilliant. I love it, um, and I've never had a problem with it in lots of years, really. So I do find some of the solutions a bit, a bit odd, but there you go. What's the um, what's the response been like uh, to Cube since you published the article? Oh, mind blowing! Um, I honestly published it as just support material, and that's all I expected it to be. And it's just blown up all over the place. Um, there's a lot of people have been reading it, asking about it, really, really interested about it. So, yeah, there's definitely more to come on it. I did say in the article, I said, look, if people are actually quite interested in this. I'll I'll expand on this post and actually build make some documentation um i've got bits of documentation dotted around all over the place but to sort of centralize that and then 
you know, so you could do some workshops and stuff. So there's this stuff to go. Um, uh, it's the same, it's how every layout sort of started as well. We we both had these sort of scattered ideas about layout and then we sort of merged them together. So some something like that, I suppose, would come in the future. And are there any downsides that you're aware of to um, using Cube? Are there problems that it doesn't attempt to solve? Yes, this accent, Drew, it just won't go away, <laughs> no matter what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I think, in all seriousness, I think Cube's got as close as I can get to being happy with with the front end, which is saying a lot, I think. But um, <laughs> you never know; things might change again. Like this is this has evolved over more recent years. Give it another five years, I'll probably be struggling with this and trying something else. You know, I think that that's the key point: is to just keep keep working on yourself and working on what you know and and how you approach things, and you know. This definitely won't work for everyone as well. I know that for a fact. I know that from my comments. But the, the, that I don't expect it to work for everyone. I don't expect anything to work for everyone. It's the same with JavaScript stuff. You know, some people like the reactive stuff, and some people don't. It is it is what it is. We're all people at the end of the day. We all have different tests. So, it's all about communicating with your teammates at the end of the day. That's the important thing. I know you as a uh, a very talented designer and developer, and you, like like many of us, you're just working on real projects all day every day. But you've uh, you've recently started publishing on this site, uh, Piccalilli, which is where the the Cube CSS introduction article was. Mm. So Piccalilli is uh, is kind of a new venture for you, isn't it? What's what's it mm. all about? So yeah, I mean, very kind of you to say, Drew. Um, you've you've actually worked with me, so that's that's high praise. But the the um pick a little thing is an evolution so i'm a freelancer um i do like client work but i think this has become apparent with the pandemic that that is not the most sustainable thing in the world in some industries i think um freelancing can be very very tough um as a developer and designer and it's something that i've been doing it for so long now 10 years um well 12 years now actually like I fancy doing something a bit different and applying the knowledge that I've got and, and actually sharing it with people. I've always been very open and sharing and I wanted to formalise that. So I created Piccadilly to sort of write tutorials, but mainly for courses that I'm producing. That's the main meat and potatoes. And then there's the newsletter, which is, you know, people really enjoy the newsletter because I sort of share cool things I found on the internet and every week. And that that's the backbone of it. And... Yeah, it's just going really well, and that's essentially where I want to see myself doing more, more and more full time as as the years go on. I think. So, what's uh, what's coming next for Piccadilly? Have you got uh, anything uh, that you've got coming out? <laughs> Thanks for the the door open there, Drew. Um, the so the yeah. By the time this this recording goes out, the first course will be live learn 11 from scratch and that's where we learn how to build a gatsby website <laughs> so we feel you learn how to build an 11 site um so you start off with a completely empty directory there's nothing in it it's empty and then the end of it you finish up with this really nice looking agency site um and we learn all sorts in it you learn how to really Go to town with eleven T. We pull remote data in from places. We use Cube CSS to build a really nice front end for it, and it's just really if you if you want to get into the Jamstack and you want to get into static site generators, it's, or just how to build a nice website, it's just a really handy course. I hope for that. It's currently being edited within an inch of its life as we're talking. So um, 
yeah, it's it, we got it, it's going to be cool. I hope and useful. But that's an accumulation of a lot of stuff I've been doing over the last couple of years, so it should be fun. So buy it, um, and I'll I'll do a, a discount code. Do like um, smashing pod for forty percent off, and uh, you can get it so when it comes out for a bit. Amazing. We'll uh, to do that. We'll link that up. Yeah. Um, ha- have you figured out how to spell Piccadilly reliably yet? <laughs> so I was on there. I was, I was on with Kristen Day at the Shop Talk show, and I said on there, if there's ever one thing you want to hire me for, it's to write Piccadilly by hand first time without <laughs> even thinking about it, because I've written that word so many times that I just know <laughs> I, I know exactly how to spell it off by heart. So yeah, the answer to your question is yes. <laughs> well, I'm still struggling. <laughs> it's hard. Oh much. God. <laughs> I, I I totally empathise. It took me a long time to learn how to spell it, but it's one of those words in my vocabulary. This this year, I'm trying to spell necessary without without making a spelling <laughs> mistake. <laughs> so, I've I've been learning all about Cube CSS. Um, what mm. have you been learning about lately, Andy? Do you know what this is? This is going to surprise you, Drew. MySQL is what I've been learning about recently. Um, yeah. So I think so. Basically, Piccadilly is, is totally self-published. It's an eleventy site, but it's got an API behind it, and um, that's got a MySQL database behind it. And the the stuff that helps that gives people content that they've purchased requires some pretty hefty querying. So I just actually like properly invested in some MySQL knowledge, especially the difference between joins, which I didn't actually realise there was a difference between each type of join. Um, so that's been really useful and it's been it's resulted in some pretty speedy speedy interactions with the database um i used to run this thing called front-end challenges club and when i first launched it it just collapsed and died on itself because my sql was shoddy to say the least so yeah i've uh, really sort of been learning how to do that because i'm not a back-end person at all i'm you know pixel pusher so it's uh it's definitely not in my my remit it's, that's more your neck of the woods isn't it um but the i find it really cool my skill i actually really like writing it it's a really nice instructional language isn't it so it is it's great um le- i, I learned sql at school um wow which was uh, i mean a long time I mean, we were talking like 20 years ago now so they had um, computers in those days they did yeah yeah we had to wind, <laughs> them, right by had to wind them up but <laughs> we did but i tell you it's it, it's it's akin for for a developer it's akin to learning your times tables um, yeah in yeah, they're yeah. one of those things that seems like a bit of a chore but once once you're fluent um it it just becomes useful time and time again yeah um, Sean, there's really sort of tangible differences as well. Like you really see the difference in speed. And, um, you know, I really like working with Node because that's really fast. But Node and MySQL is just uh, just not not a, not a very common choice, but I think it's a pretty good choice. I think it, it works really, really well. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy with that. As you know, I don't like writing PHP, so that's never going to be an option. <laughs> <laughs> If you, dear listener, would like to hear more from Andy, you can follow him on Twitter, where he's at Hank Chiseljaw. You can find Pickalily at pickalil.li, where you'll also find the article describing Cube CSS. And we'll also add links to all of those in the show notes, of course. Thanks for joining us today, Andy. Did you have any parting words? Um, stay safe and wear your mask. This is Smashing. And that was our podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And if you liked it, please share it with your friends. 
find us on the web at smashingmagazine.com, on Twitter at SmashingMag, Smashing Magazine on Facebook, or in the supermarket by the cat food. <laughs>